and welcome to Taxing Matters, your one-stop audio shop for all things tax, brought to you by RPC. My name is Alice Kemp, and I will be your guide as we explore the sometimes hostile and ever-changing landscape that is the world of tax law and tax disputes. Taxing Matters brings you a fortnightly roadmap to guide you and your business through this labyrinth. In case any of you miss any crucial information or just want some bedtime reading, there is a full transcript of this and indeed every episode of Taxing Matters on our website at www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. Today we're honoured to be speaking with Keith Gordon, a barrister at Temple Tax Chambers. Keith has the kind of professional resume that makes one feel lazy. Before qualifying to the bar, he was a chartered accountant and a chartered tax advisor. So as you can imagine, Keith advises and advocates in the court on all things tax. Keith has won pretty much every accolade it is possible to win within the field of tax law, including my favourite, being described as a tax superhero. I don't think that accolade comes with a cape though. Keith, welcome to Taxing Matters. Thank you very much, Alice. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Now, you've been an incredibly vocal champion on Twitter and other publications for the victims of loan charge. Can you just tell us a bit more about what the loan charge is and why that matters? Yes, um, it's quite difficult to give you a simple answer, but I will do my best. Um, For many years, a lot of individuals have been required to provide their work services in a way that the revenue has decided it does not like. Ultimately, um, the schemes that they were signed up to involved some of their pay being received in the form of loans, but loans that they were not expected to repay. Now, there are sometimes debates as to quite how much the individuals knew and how much they didn't know, but over the last 20 or so years, the revenue has been looking into these schemes they failed to tell people they didn't like them, encouraging people to stay in these schemes for longer, and also encouraging many promoters of these schemes to say, not only do the revenue know about them, but they're happy with them. And some have even gone so far as to say they are revenue approved. Now, obviously, that's not true, but it's not difficult to see why people could be lulled into a false sense of security. Now, for many years, the revenue had said, we don't like these schemes. But the few times they tried to challenge such arrangements, they kept on losing in the tribunals and in the courts. This all changed in about 2015, when they suddenly won in the Court of Session, which is a third level up, effectively the Court of Appeal equivalent for England, but the Court of Session applies in Scotland, in the case often known as the Rangers case. It also used to be known as the Murray Holdings case. But in order to win in the Court of Session, the revenue actually had to make a fundamental change to their argument. And the argument changed from being, when you received a loan, you should have paid some tax on that loan. And that was the argument which kept on failing. But in the quarter session, the revenue changed the argument to, when the money was originally paid by your client into the trust which paid you the loan, that was a payment of salary or equivalent to salary. And that, as I said, the argument was successful in the court of session and then went on to the Supreme Court, which also made the same point. And Lord Hodge, in his um, judgment in the Supreme Court case, said, well, all you're doing is effectively diverting your earnings at that early stage in the process. And the fact that it then converts that earnings into a loan is irrelevant. Those earnings were subject to tax and subject to PAYE. So eventually, by 2017, 
the revenue had got the success it needed, these schemes were generally ineffective. But there was a fundamental problem that the revenue had to overcome. By changing their argument, they had to acknowledge that the tax should have been deducted by an employer at the time the employer, the client, put the money into the scheme rather than when the scheme made out the payment of the loan. And one of the fundamental rules about PAYE is that it's the employer who is obliged to pay the PAYE, and it's the employer to whom the revenue should turn when there's been a PAYE failure. And the revenue, therefore, by winning the ranger's case, could have risked having a Pyrrhic victory because they would have proven that the schemes were ineffective. But many of these employers were no longer available, or the revenue had just been too late to assess the employers or issue determinations under the PAY regulations. So what the loan charge has done is effectively tried to convert this tax liability, which fell on the employers, onto the employees, the workers. And it did so by saying, well, for all these loans that you have not yet repaid by the 5th of April 2019, we're going to treat that as a single amount of income received on that date and accessible in the 2018-2019 tax year. Notwithstanding the fact that, strictly speaking, those loans remained repayable at a later date. So the individuals were being asked either to repay the loan and therefore lose the money that they thought they'd had, or pay tax on something, even though they might have to repay it at a later date. And this was not something I was particularly... Um, bothered about. It was something I knew about vaguely, but it wasn't the kind of area where I advised. So it was just something I knew that was going to happen at some later date. And I was going to give some evidence to one of the parliamentary committees um, on HMRC investigations. This must have been about 2018. The day before I went in, someone phoned me out of the blue and said, look, could you talk about the loan charge? And I said, well, I don't really know much about it, but I'll look into it. And I just realized quite how horrendous the loan charge was. Because what it was effectively doing was turning money which had been received up to 20 years ago, because it was originally down to any loans advanced on or after the 6th of April 1999, income from up to 20 years ago being converted into taxable income at a later date, the 2018-2019 tax year. And it seemed to me to be a rather sneaky device to get around the fact that the revenue had missed all the opportunities under the tax law with all the time, with all the time limits in order to get the money that they should have been able to get at a much earlier stage. So the reason I've been so vocal about it is because I feel that the loan charge itself um, drives a coach of horses through taxpayer protections. And on top of that, the revenue has not been totally honest either to parliamentarians or to the press, about what the legislation was meant to be doing and why it was doing it. Because whilst I don't necessarily condone the tax avoidance that went on in the first place, this was a situation where many of the participants were not knowingly avoiding tax and secondly were actually trying to do what they thought was right in accordance with the tax law and were often given the reassurances that what they were doing was revenue approved. On top of that, you've got the revenue had failed to take timely action. And the people I've spoken to over the last few years have said, if all the revenue had done is said more than I'm opening an inquiry into your tax affairs, but actually said, by the way, we don't like your scheme, 
we might be wrong, but we don't like it. People would have just run away from it. But the fact that the revenue just didn't do anything kept them in, meaning that they ended up building more and more arrears to tax, which is then also to be collected on this one date, originally January 2020, it's being postponed a bit. And I just felt that this was an incredibly dangerous precedent as to how the revenue deals with schemes it doesn't like, where it has failed to take timely action when they should have done and had all the knowledge to do so. Yes, that does sound incredibly concerning. So in terms of the schemes that underlie this loan charge, what sort of industries are we looking at here? What are the main focus areas? The underlying schemes, from what I understand, were often devised for um, large private companies where the directors might have had surplus profits of half a million, a million, two million, which they wish to distribute to their key shareholders and directors in a tax-efficient way. So in many ways, these schemes were no different from other forms of tax avoidance where people try to get money out of a company in a tax-efficient way. Now, either these schemes work or they don't work. What makes these schemes particularly um, unusual is that they were then mass-marketed on an industrial scale to contractors and contractors who will often be working on for banks, government departments, local governments, NHS, on sort of short-term contracts, three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, um, going from client to client, often having to work through an agency. And somehow, this was an, a part of the market, not necessarily the high earners, people earning um, millions or even hundreds of thousands, but people earning from 20,000 up to 80, 90,000 depending on the kind of contracting work they did. And they were being um, sort of put through these schemes in such that they received a basic wage in accordance with the national minimum wage, but most of their earnings was then channeled through these schemes into the form of loans. And as a result, it's not just simply a surplus bonus that they've received in this tax-efficient way, effectively the majority of their earned income. And therefore, when the revenue comes along with a loan charge and decides we want this all back or the tax on this all back in one go, it's effectively hitting them really deep down in the pocket because it's so much of their historical income is being clawed back and often with the possibility of having to pay tax at higher rates because it's all being aggregated in one year, although that's now been able to be spread over three. So how you've talked about this uh, process of HMRC trying to work out how to challenge these schemes and how to create a loan charge. How did this all happen? How did the loan charge come about? And what, if anything that you know about it, was told to Parliament to bring this legislation into place? Well, the loan charge was announced um, in a consultation in 2016, Budget Day 2016. So this was after the Court of Session had found for the revenue, before the Supreme Court later confirmed it. And there was a consultation process saying, um, this is what we propose to do. And the professional bodies responded in the normal way. And the CAOT wasn't overly happy with the approach taken by the revenue. The Institute of Chartered Accountants in England and Wales was even more vocally objecting, saying this was effectively undermining taxpayers' rights. It's retrospective, etc. And we understand what you're trying to do, but we don't agree with the way you're trying to do it. And they put in their responses in the normal way. But so did several hundred contractors who would be adversely affected by it. 
Now, in the response document to the consultation, the revenue pointed out that they'd had hundreds of responses, but the vast majority was from people, from people who were adversely affected by it. In other words, they would say that, wouldn't they? And therefore dismissed the criticism of what I consider to be the most pernicious part of the legislation is its retrospection and cutting away taxpayers' rights. So those objections were all dismissed because so many contractors, who obviously had a self-interest, said, we object to it. The revenue then picked up what the professional bodies said in respect of other answers, as in, we understand why you're trying to do it. In other words, if you read the consultation document, you'll think that the professional bodies were supporting what the government was doing. Actually, and in particular the ICAW, were not happy with the way forward. But it was a case of you put in a half-truth. You can't say it's wrong, but it was misleading. And therefore, you get a slightly inaccurate feeling from the response document as to what was being said by some of the most important respondents. So what has been the impact, as far as you can t- see it, of the loan charge and the, the potential coming into force of this? How does it actually operate in practice? Well, in its original form, um, so we had in the consultation during 2016, and then you'll remember in 2017, we had a summer election, which then um, caused the finance bills to be sort of slightly deferred or some of the provisions to be deferred. So the provisions eventually came into force or were enacted in the Finance Number no. 2 Act 2017. Now, there have been criticisms as to how the revenue or the Treasury technically um, tabled um, some of the documents for that debate so as to stifle even criticism in debate at the um, committee stage. But leaving that aside, the original Finance Act provisions said that any loan not to be paid by the 5th of April 2019 would now be treated as income. And as I said before, what that means is that people would have their income potentially up to 20 years all aggregated and treated as income in the 2018-2019 tax year. Now, as far as the impact is concerned, well, you can see that that has going to have a devastating effect if half your income over the last 20 years is suddenly going to be taxed a further time um, in one go with potentially higher rates. You've also got to remember that the revenue are saying on, let's say, £20,000, you should have paid tax at 20%. Let's just keep the numbers nice and simple. And therefore, for one particular year, you have saved £4,000. What that analysis forgets is that those taxpayers didn't save £4,000. £3,000 would have gone in fees to the scheme. So technically, um, they might have saved a bit of tax. But many of these people were individuals who would have um, ordinarily paid, um, incorporated and provided their services as consultants through limited companies. But they were scared of doing so because they were worried that HMRC would then waste their time with an IR35 challenge. And if you look at IR35 cases before the sudden rush of TV and radio presenters, most of the IR35 cases involve contractors who are pretty much on that cusp of self-employment or employment. So you could understand why they'd be taking measures to avoid the risk of an investigation because it could just be such a waste of their time. But if they had been paying tax through limited companies, they would have been paying um, not much more than 20% tax anyway. So the immediate impact of the loan charge is it was just something going to tax money that they had no reason to budget for over the previous 15, 20 years, and was not simply tax they had avoided. It was 
far in excess of any saving that they had actually made. So I guess that most people who suddenly find themselves with such a liability would find themselves in financial difficulty. It's not something they've necessarily budgeted for. Why should they? Many of them were no longer had the ability to earn as much as they might have earned in previous years. Most of them would not have had spare cash because they were told this was a legitimate scheme. Therefore, they could treat what they received as net income, fully taxed. Therefore, they're entitled to spend it as they wanted it. Um, even the revenue's own estimates expected this could lead to bankruptcies and family breakup. And then what I've heard is that is precisely what has happened in many cases. Family breakup, um, bankruptcies expected, and most tragically, seven suicides linked to people who are facing the loan charge. And this is a known fact. The revenue admits the um, contribution of the loan charge to at least three of these suicides, but they are still pressing on with this, and they are still pretending that this is a perfectly valid, legitimate power. So has revenue had it all its own way, or has there been any form of pushback from government or any other bodies about the application of this charge? They've had it almost their own way. During the Finance Bill 2019, becoming the Finance Act, there was going to be a backbench revolt in the Commons, and eventually the Treasury was forced to accept they would conduct a review of the loan charge. That was concluded, I think, in March 2019, but it was a review conducted by the Treasury themselves, and surprisingly enough, when you mark your own homework, you're going to give yourself a rather favourable outcome. And they said, it's fine. That was still not satisfactory. And there were over 200 parliamentarians who were against what was happening. That then led, partly possibly because of the change in leadership of the Conservative Party, but Boris Johnson in his hustings had actually said, oh, this sounds terribly unfair, he'll suggest a review. And when he became leader of the Conservative Party and Prime Minister, um, subsequently actually said, this will go to a review, and that was announced in September 2019, and that was known as the Morse Review. Now, the Morse Review has a number of faults, which I can go into if you want, but even if you accept it at face value, it shows that the Treasury's own internal review early in the year was completely flawed, because Morse said that retrospective legislation, whilst not completely prohibited, needs to be justified, and he felt that it was not but justified in the way the Treasury had previously thought. However, he thought that by 2010, the position and the revenues position and the law was sufficiently clear that people should have known that these schemes would not work. Now, we need to break that down into a number of different points. What he did is he recommended that the commencement date of the loan charge be brought to a later date, not 6th of April 1999, but loans advanced on or after, I think it's the 9th of December 2010, which was the date of the, the autumn statement on um, budget, I can't remember whether it was a budget or whatever, but at the end of 2010, there was a statement in which the revenue said they were going to stop this kind of schemes in the employment sphere. So one can see that the revenue were taking action from that date, and I don't think anyone can really say with much satisfaction that the schemes would have been effective for employees from December 2010. But what happened was that these schemes 
then morphed to provide schemes for self-employed individuals, whom the legislation did not hit. Now, the problem with the Morse review is that Sir Amias Morse was given the impression that it was completely clear these schemes didn't work from 2010 onwards. But he hadn't picked up the fact that actually these schemes didn't work for employees, but there was nothing on the statute book for another seven years that suggested they didn't work for the self-employed. And the schemes morphed into these self-employment schemes, and therefore people carried on being given the impression, and there was nothing on the face of the legislation to make it clear that these schemes didn't work. So the basis of fixing the loan charge to the date in 2010 was it was clear these schemes didn't work. That conclusion is predicated on a misunderstanding. So yes, there has been some pushback, but the limited pushback has been subject to a misunderstanding. And between 2010 and 2016, St. Louis Morse recognized that as long as people have made adequate disclosure or reasonable disclosure of their participation, then again, they should be relieved of the loan charge. But the revenue have translated reasonable disclosure to full disclosure, full disclosure being far more than anyone would have been expected under accordance with the law to produce, because the revenue are trying to cut down any opportunity for taxpayers to say, I'm not liable to the loan charge. The other concession which the revenue has agreed is that rather than it all being taxed in one year, the income could be spread over three. So that will also have a slightly ameliorating effect for individuals who find themselves taxed at higher rates just because of the aggregation. But it's not necessarily going to help that many people uh, there have been all sorts of stories about the revenue failing to settle cases by what was the statutory date of the 30th September 2020, meaning that taxpayers are potentially liable both for the loan charge and still have their old liabilities that they have to face. So there's still a lot of problems out there. But all I say is it's not surprising that there have been so many tragic consequences of this legislation, which is at least partly of the revenues making. But they are not only refusing to admit their responsibility for it, but actually being disingenuous in explaining what's going on generally. You've talked about the consequences to taxpayers. What about any consequences to the people who sold these products to taxpayers? Has there been any discussion about what might happen there? Yes. They've been told by government ministers that they're very naughty boys, big girls, and they shouldn't do it. And the government is taking strong action against these individuals. And they've recently announced that they'll be taking action to stop these individuals misselling schemes from 2021. They're not exactly doing anything about what's happened over the past 20 years. So if you have ended up as an individual that's listening to this podcast, being the victim of being sold one of these schemes, what is it that you should be thinking about? What should you be doing? And as a second point, if someone is trying to sell you one of these schemes in future, what are the hallmarks that may indicate that you're getting yourself into one of these problems? Right. Um, two very separate questions. I think I'll have to um, deal with them one by one. If you're caught by this, what should you do? Seek professional help ASAP. If you can't afford professional help, then the Low Incomes Tax Reform Group might be able to give you some advice. Um, there's certainly advice on their website. And the thrust of that advice will no doubt be speak to the revenue, hope they're being charitable, 
and try to arrange repayment scheme that you can afford. If you are being slightly more um, robust, or you just simply cannot afford any repayment terms that the revenue wants, then there might be legal arguments that you could run. But I really wouldn't want to sort of go into the, all the details in a podcast. It's rather too complicated. Plus, you also have to bear in mind that there are different situations, whether you're a pre-2010 case and you're just trying to silt out the challenge to the scheme, whether you're a post-2010 case where you think you can actually get out of the loan charge because of disclosure, or you're trying to challenge the scheme, or it's a combination of those. But I can understand the temptation for people to bury their head in the sand. It's certainly not the professional advice I could give. So the professional advice I give is seek professional advice of some form. If you are experiencing any form of mental anguish as a result of this, and it wouldn't be surprising if you were, I believe the Loan Charge Action Group might be able to advise you. All I can say, I don't know the precise terms, but you're clearly not going to be alone. And therefore, the best thing to do is to speak to others in a similar situation for advice. So far as your second question, what are the warning signs? Well, I've heard various schemes being sold. Um, I've heard recordings um, which have been broadcast on the radio. These schemes are now being sold in an even more I would say dishonest way than they were previously. Prior to the Rangers case, I'd be prepared to say that these schemes, there was an argument these schemes worked. The argument might have succeeded, the argument might not have succeeded, but I couldn't say for definite that those schemes were definitely all flawed at the time. Hindsight is a wonderful thing, but at the time, one couldn't necessarily criticise the selling of the schemes, even if you can criticize some of the ways the schemes were sold. Now, the schemes are being sold in a way that they recognize that the word loan is toxic. So they're no longer selling loans as the underlying scheme. But what they're doing is actually selling something which is so clearly not an effective scheme that I can't believe they actually believe in its efficacy. The schemes I've heard sold say, well, we're not sending you a loan, or you don't get any of your income as a loan. What we do is we subdivide your earnings into two categories. One is we call salary, and you pay tax on it in the normal way. The other half, we're going to call an advance. And as it's an advance, you don't have to pay tax on it. Well, I'll leave aside the correctness of that particular proposition at the moment. But what they're saying is, you're not getting this advance any earlier than you would normally and you're not getting it any later than you would normally, and you don't ever have to repay it at any point, it is yours. But because we're not calling it salary, we don't have to pay tax on it. Now, with any iota of tax training, you know that that can't be correct. But the schemes are effectively scared of using the word loan because of the whole history of the loan chart. But there's now selling something which is clearly ineffective. What's the warning sign? Well, people often say if it's too good to be true, then it probably isn't. I think one has to be fairly careful with that mantra. But if something sounds too good to be true in a tax field, I think you should speak to a tax professional to say, do you believe this is right or not? Don't just believe the salesperson. There are many tax outcomes that are too good to be true. There are also many tax outcomes that are too bad to be true. So just simply, it's too good to be true, I don't think is a good enough warning. But if it's too good to be true, then speak to someone whom you reasonably trust to understand tax and not just the salesperson. But if you do have any doubts, just almost Google the key elements of what you're being told 
and see what HMRC say about it, because they might have picked it up already. But I think that what seems to have happened is that um, these schemes have been marketed to people returning to the NHS in order to deal with the COVID pandemic. So one would expect the revenue to take adverts in The Lancet and other similar publications, which people with the medical profession would read to say, beware, these schemes do not work. They tell the NHS to put in their terms and conditions. Do not sign up to these schemes. The Reverend does not believe they work. It's your choice, but at least you're going in with your eyes open. People who have been contracting for the last 15, 20 years have probably well wise, once bitten three times shy, I think, in this case. I don't know to whom else these schemes are being marketed, but one hopes that you know, through this podcast, through other um, radio programs, etc., people are learning that these schemes are just not worth entering into. They will just lead to too much misery down the line. So with the misery that you are seeing with the loan charge, what would you see as being a solution to how it can still achieve some of its underlying aims while avoiding the misery and the human cost that it is currently producing? Well, the underlying aim stated to stop these schemes happening in the future. Well, that aim has actually failed. But I don't think anyone who's been affected by the loan charge could ever be tempted into such a scheme again. Therefore, the mere experience over the last three years ought to be sufficient to nip these schemes in the bud going forward. In order to um, alleviate the misery that's being suffered, I personally believe the revenue should actually scrap the loan charge completely. They'd still be able to rely on their normal assessing powers and closure notices, etc. And in many cases, they did take action in time. And whilst many people might find they've had inquiries open 15 years without being really aware of it or having been entitled to forget about it because of the revenues in action, frankly, um, I don't think one can really object to the fact that um, the revenue, if they open the inquiry in time, have the right to challenge the tax. However, there are a number of cases going through the tribunals and RPCs involved in one of them, which is looking at the efficacy of um, the defences that a taxpayer could raise in many of these old cases. So I would say, leave this for the courts to deal with in the normal way. Either the revenue have acted in time, in which case a taxpayer is entitled to their day in court and argue the case, which they might win, they might lose. Three cases have gone through. So far, the taxpayers have lost in all three, although for slightly different reasons in each one. And one case has been heard by the upper tribunal fairly recently. I suspect the decision is imminent. But let justice take its normal course. It means the revenue will still get their money in some cases, quite possibly. And if not, well, it's only the revenue's fault that they don't get the money. Another possibility of moving forward is a suggestion which has been made by the APPG, the All-Party Parliamentary Group, which is concerned with the loan charge. And they said, well, why don't we say, look, the taxpayers accept they are partially responsible. Ultimately, they receive money through schemes, whether it was to acknowledge me or not, but not enough tax was paid. But there were other contributors to this mess. The accountants who advised them, the promoters who sold these schemes, the revenue for not actually taking action in time. In all these situations, perhaps some of the blame should be shared. Why don't the taxpayers say, in order to move on, pay 10% tax rather than 20%, 25%, 40%. In other words, a compromise. Not everyone would necessarily be able to afford that, but it would be at least a sensible way forward rather than revenue just simply bankrupting people over the next five, 10 years for not being able to pay what um, I believe to be 
fairly unrealistic and unaffordable settlements. That's a way forward. Unfortunately, the revenue is being too stubborn and saying we refuse to go down that route. So what is it about the loan charge that makes it so objectionable? I think what makes the loan charge so unsavoury is the fact that there's always going to be some form of tax avoidance that the government doesn't like. And the revenue is entitled not to like tax avoidance. But what they have done with the loan charge is said, we are going to look at a future date in order to avoid charges of retrospection and say, to the extent that you have still benefited from this tax avoidance scheme that you are party to, we are going to charge you tax on those profits. So you pay tax effectively at a later date. The revenue hasn't ever suggested taking such action in respect of any other form of avoidance. And most other avoidance involves individuals who have knowingly gone into a particular scheme seeking to avoid tax. Now, I don't want to get into the morality of tax avoidance, but those people are possibly slightly more morally culpable than most of the victims of the loan charge. It is the victims of the loan charge who seem to have been picked out and particularly harsh treatment. And that's what I find particularly uncomfortable. So what's the loan charge, a successful policy? Well, it probably depends on what you call success. Its stated aim was to stop these schemes ever happening in the future. And to that extent, it's quite clear that it has failed. But there have been other effects of the loan charge, which um, you can decide whether you consider to amount to success. It's led to family breakup, divorce, suicide. It's led to at least 50,000 taxpayers suddenly realising that the revenue cannot be trusted. It's shown over 200 parliamentarians that the revenue's answers to questions can often be disingenuous or misleading. If you consider that to be success, then fine. My personal view is that those have been very unfortunate consequences. Were they foreseeable? The revenue foresaw some of them and made it clear in the original impact assessment. As far as being misleading and disingenuous, well, the revenue should have been aware that if they're going to give parliamentarians half-truths, then it could erode trust. Thank you very much, Keith, for explaining the loan charge to us. As ever, a big thank you goes to our miracle working producer, Mary Mitchell, Josh McDonald, who does all the work pulling each episode together, our music is from musical genius, Andrew Waterson, and of course, a big thank you to all of our listeners for joining us. A full transcript of this episode, together with our references, can be found on our website, www.rpc.co.uk forward slash taxing matters. And you can find Keith on Twitter at, at Keith M. Gordon or through his chambers, Temple Tax Chambers. If you like taxing matters, why not try RPC's other podcast offering, Insurance Covered, which looks at the inner workings of the insurance industry, hosted by the brilliant Peter Mansfield and available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast or our website. If you have any questions for me or for Keith or any topics you'd like us to cover in a future episode, please do email us on taxingmatters at rpc.co.uk. We'd love to hear from you. If you liked this episode, please do take a moment to rate, review and subscribe and remember to tell a colleague about us. Thank you all for listening and talk to you again in two weeks. 